Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface. We're going to talk about everything from life to love and pretty much everything in between. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it. Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have some fun too, because Lord knows I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, welcome. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refine Collective podcast on iTunes. And if you're an old friend, welcome back. And would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be so grateful. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, go on and slide into my DMs on Instagram. I love hearing from you. It's at The Refined Woman. Now, let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to The Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. And thank you, Newsstand Studio here at One Rock Center for hosting me today. And Joe, thank you for producing my podcast and for Kitty running all the logistics to make TRC a reality. Also, thank you to my ever-faithful Patreon community. My Patreon fam supports TRC for $5 a month. And as a thank you, I create weekly exclusive content just for them. So if you want to link arms with me and support TRC, and in doing so, get some VIP weekly content, go to patreon.com slash The Refined Collective. Ladies, does it ever feel like the shorts you're wearing just weren't made for you? It's time to try Title Nine. They've got shorts built to keep up and made to move with you no matter what you might get into. Title Nine is gear made by women for women. You know how much I love supporting female-run businesses. Their clamber shorts, which I have in black with the five-inch inseam, are so cute and comfortable. They're great for a workout, hiking, or I just wore them yesterday running around town doing errands. They're made out of a super stretchy, like this abrasion-resistant fabric, so they're basically indestructible. And thanks to a wide, comfy waistband and a lot of pockets, you can wear them all day no matter what you get into. They're basically badass shorts, y'all. Title IX designs and sells performance outdoor gear and apparel for women on the move. Women like you, women like me who are busy chasing waves, chasing deadlines, maybe even chasing toddlers, and always chasing our next adventure. Title IX gear and apparel is built to perform and made to last. From innovative swim pieces to bottoms that actually fit, every product is designed for women seeking out their next adventure. So right now, Title IX is offering our listeners $10 off and free shipping on orders over $100 when you visit title9.com refined. Go to title9.com slash refined for $10 off and free shipping on your order over $100. That's T-I-T-L-E-N-I-N-E dot com slash refined. Now, we've been running strong here on the podcast for three and a half years, and this podcast is seriously one of my favorite favorite things I get to do in my life. And I want to celebrate with you a huge milestone we have just received here at the podcast. This spring, we hit 1 million podcast downloads. Like what the heck? Over 1 million people have listened to this show from all over the world. And I want to freaking celebrate that with you. So I have spent time with my team combing through the archives of TRC 
And for the next few weeks, I'm relaunching our most downloaded episodes of all time. You may or may not be surprised that almost all of the highest downloaded episodes have to do with sexuality, spirituality, along with dating, relationships, and personal growth. Now, if you're new to TRC, buckle up because you likely haven't heard a lot of this content. And if you've been here from the beginning, first of all, I love you. And second of all, it never hurts to have a little refresher on some of this content. So welcome to the official TRC Remix series where as per usual, I'm going there, the hard places, the taboo places, and asking hard questions that may make you squirm in your seat, but I believe we'll all be better for it. First up, we have the highest downloaded episode of all time here at TRC. In this episode, I unpack the number one question I get from single people all over the world. It's the thing everyone wants to talk about, but no one wants to say it out loud. Ready for it? Is masturbation a sin? Part one. Part two will launch next week, but for now, part one is masturbation a sin. In this episode, I hope to normalize and take the shame out of a very shame-inducing conversation by sharing my personal experience with masturbation, what happens neurologically when we orgasm, and the four questions to ask yourself when exploring this topic. I launched this episode summer of 2020, and it about broke my little corner of the internet. (laughs) Let's see if that happens again. Here we go. Welcome to another Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and today it's just me. We got a solo show here, and to be honest, I have avoided doing this specific podcast episode for a long time, and Gosh, there's a lot of reasons for that, (laughs) but mainly because I've been afraid to talk from a public platform about masturbation. I've been afraid of getting it wrong. I've been afraid of what other people are going to think of me, specifically Christian people, Christian leaders. And I think for so much of my life, I have felt like too Christian for the non-Christian world and not Christian enough for the Christian world. And I'm a three on the Enneagram and I desperately want to fit in. And so I think fear has really kept me from doing an episode on masturbation. And that's not the only thing. So I always have to ask myself, why am I doing or not doing something? If it's fear-based, then I know that that's not God's heart for me. And if I'm just not ready, I'm not ready. I don't have to share anything with anyone publicly if I do not want to. Um, It's important that first and foremost, I do the work personally in my life with my everyday people, with leaders and pastors and mentors that I trust before making it anything public. So yeah, fear was at play here. Timing was at play here. And also, I think this is such an important conversation talking about our sexual desire and sexuality and things like masturbation. It's such an important conversation that really what I would rather do (laughs) is sit with you in person and have a real life conversation and get to know you and ask you questions and share my heart with you. Because the more and more I've kind of 
dive or dove, whatever is the grammatically correct way to say that into these topics on sexuality and desire and masturbation, the more I'm like, you know what? I can honestly see why pastors from the pulpit want to make things like masturbation a very black and white issue because it's easier to preach. It's easier to preach to thousands, if not millions of people, um, a black and white concept as opposed to stepping into the gray, stepping into the gray and stepping into the mess of our life experiences, of relationship to and with each other, of nuance. So this is a conversation that is tricky and it can be hard, but I think just because it's hard and just because it's tricky doesn't mean that we don't get to talk about it. What I would prefer, yeah, is that we are one-on-one in person or that I am having you as a one-on-one coaching client or that you are in my online course on my website, How to Embrace Your Sexuality, when you're not having sex. Because in those situations, there's more of an atmosphere of nuance and really unpacking way more. I'm, I'm doing way more in a course over the span of a month or two months, as opposed to a 30-minute podcast episode where sound bites can be taken out of context and um, yeah, all of that. So I kind of just wanted to set the stage before I get into this conversation about masturbation because I just I just want to be transparent with you. I just want to be honest with you about where I'm at, where I'm coming from, and why I haven't publicly talked about this. And I also want you to know that after this episode, you probably won't have all the answers that you want or feel like you need. And that's okay. What I hope that this episode does is give you some sort of tools to be equipped to navigate a healthy conversation around masturbation. So over the next few minutes... I am going to just kind of lay the groundwork of what I'm not going to do and what I hope to do, and we'll get to it. So what I'm not going to do, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I will never tell you what you can and can't do. I also am not going to give you a script to regurgitate to yourself or to others to justify any of your actions. I'm also not going to give you a hall pass to do whatever you want to do sexually. I'm also not going to shame or judge you for anything that you've done in your past or your current decisions. I'm also not here to try to convince you or fix you of anything. Like that is truly not my agenda. My hope, honestly, my hope in all that I do is to point you to Jesus, to point you to God, to point you to hope, to point you to scripture, to point you to nuance. Um, I... This platform is not strictly Christian. I'm a Christian. It's it's my frame of reference. It's my worldview. My relationship with God colors and paints every single one of my experiences, decisions in life. So it's where I'm coming from, but you don't have to agree with me to be here at the table, to have permission to sit at the table. And also, we don't have to agree on everything theologically to honor and respect and dialogue with one another. So my hope is ultimately that I would always be pointing you to something greater, pointing you to God. 
Number two, I really hope in my work and in my podcast and any of the content that you interact with that I create, whether it's my book that launches in 2021 or just a conversation that you and I are having, I want to normalize a healthy conversation around sex, sexuality, sexual desire, and yes, even masturbation. Because I believe that for far too long, all of these things have been shame-inducing conversations, whether in the church or in culture. Like, how many times do you say the word masturbation in your everyday life? Like, for most of my life, up until the last few years, even the word itself felt like shame-inducing and icky and masturbation. Like, I personally felt shame when I even said it, and I didn't want to say the word. And I think that sexual desire is one of the most natural human experiences on the planet because God created sexual desire and God called his humanity when he created humanity very good in Genesis 1. And so it's not a taboo thing to have sexual arousal. It's not a taboo thing to want to have sex. It's not a taboo thing to desire pleasure. These are all things that God created. And so... I think we are doing a disservice to ourselves, to God and others by making the conversation about sex, sexuality, desire, all the things, like only for behind closed doors. So really, I want to really normalize a healthy conversation around this stuff. And next, I really want to give you tools to equip you to navigate your faith and values and dialogue around masturbation. Because honestly, like, you have to do the work. If there's anything I've learned in my seven plus year journey of navigating this stuff is that I like no one, it's no one else's job to do the work for me or involving anything. If I want to get a six pack, it doesn't matter if I hire the world's best trainer. I get to do the work. I have to do the work. It it, I'm not saying it doesn't matter what your pastor says and to ignore what your pastor says, but don't take his word for it. Do your own work as well. Take notes every Sunday and then you look into the scriptures for yourself. I feel like this is one of the most valuable things that I learned at Bible school and college. The very first book that I was given, my very first semester in Bible school was a tiny little book by John Stott called Your Mind Matters. I've referenced this a lot, but the whole idea that Stott is getting by in Your Mind Matters is that your mind matters. God created you with a mind, with intellect, with logic and problem-solving capabilities, and you are allowed to use that. I am allowed to use that. So even in this conversation, don't take my word for it. If you agree with me, if you disagree with me, honestly, what I just hope to do is give you some tools to ask questions and dig deeper into your faith. So finally, I think it's really important to say this because I think we're in such a polarizing time in our country and in our world for a lot of different reasons. And I think it's super important to remember that we do not have to see eye to eye on everything to still love and respect and honor one another. Even if we come to different conclusions, like the goal in life is not to have like a conflict-free existence. And it's not to create 
same, 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 same everywhere. Like even if you look at scripture and the people that paint the biblical narrative and experience, we have all sorts of people from all sorts of background. No one was the same. There is no archetype for a Christ follower, for a human. And I think that's so beautiful. God created us so differently. So can we learn to honor each other on our own journeys without trying to convince or write someone off as soon as they don't see eye to eye with us? And I know I could go on and on and on about that and take that a thousand different directions, but I'll just leave it there. So is masturbation a sin? Before I can even really get to that question, I want to share with you my own personal story. Because really, before we can move forward with anything and having a future vision and learning how to walk out today with clarity, we have to be willing to look backwards and ask how and why and through what means did I get here? So growing up at home, I was taught that masturbation was normal and natural, a natural human experience. And so from the time I was a young kid, I masturbated a lot. And I can't exactly remember the first time that I did, but I do remember being in like a hot tub as a kid and a jet of water blowing hard on me and being like, "Woo, what is that? (laughs) That feels kind of good. And I felt pleasure in that. And so as a kid at home, it was taught to me, masturbation is okay. But I still, in that, even though it was normalized at home, something about it felt shameful to me. So I did it, but I never talked about it with my family. I didn't talk about it with anyone. It was kind of like my little secret. At school, really the only sex ed I ever got or that I can really remember was it was either in the third or fourth grade when they took the girls in one room for an hour by themselves and the boys in one room for an hour by themselves. And they showed the girls a video on periods. And I have no idea what they told the boys, but that's really all I knew. And I just remember feeling embarrassed and ashamed and kind of giggly. And I was the only thing that I ever heard at school about sex ed. Never was taught about condoms, never was taught about masturbation, anything at school. With my friends, it was pretty much a silent conversation as well. In college, a few friends and I had masked conversations about masturbation or doing masturbation in the past, but it was kind of a very hushed voice conversation and no real details. And it still felt like I was crawling in my skin and I didn't want to be talking about it. And the general consensus, even if it was shared about was I did this thing that I should not have been doing. Then in culture, I learned to do what feels good. The cultural narrative in a postmodern society that we currently live in is to live your truth. Do what feels good as long as it feels good. And when it doesn't feel good anymore, don't do it anymore. And that that was and is the cultural narrative. And then finally, the narrative that I got from the church was... Well, now first, let me say, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And 
I didn't start going to church until I was 10 years old when my parents got divorced. And it wasn't really a thing we talked about. It was just a thing that we did on Sundays. But I did grow up in the South and I was taught that saving yourself until marriage was a thing, even though it wasn't like a Christian thing. It was just the proper thing to do. And then when I became a Christian, when I was 16 years old, going into my senior year of call or senior year of high school, when I learned that good Christian girls and boys don't have sex until marriage to be pure, that wasn't a, an outlandish concept to me because it was something that I was already really aware of from home. And around that same time, when I started learning new words like purity and abstinence, I also learned in masked conversations at the church about masturbation and that masturbation was a sin. I definitely knew it was a sin and it felt like it was all wrong all the time and definitely shut down your sexual desire until marriage. And there was also another narrative that only guys struggled with sexual desire or sexual temptation and masturbation, even though I can say Pretty certainly that I never heard a pastor from the pulpit even say the actual word masturbation. It was more like he would like hop around the topic and he, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You guys kept my drift and know what I'm talking about, right? Like, and don't do that. Or guys at night with their laptops. And it seemed as though the narrative was masturbation was definitely a sin. It was almost always connected to pornography and it was primarily a male issue. So I felt very ashamed about me having masturbated and I definitely wanted to be a quote unquote good Christian girl. So uh, I quit cold turkey and did not touch myself for years. So why do I share that with you? Because I think it's really important to identify the sexual narratives and scripts that we were given growing up. Because we don't just come up with our belief systems or our narratives out of a vacuum. And so what I want to ask you and, you know, pause this, write down these questions, journal them, talk with mentors talk with friends, talk with a small group, but I want you to ask yourself this question. What do you currently believe about masturbation and why? Where and how were those beliefs formed? Are those sexual scripts and root beliefs rooted in fear or freedom? I'll get more on teaching on uh, the shame agenda versus the Jesus agenda. But it's important to really go to the root of those beliefs and ask yourself, is this rooted in fear or freedom? And finally, what were you taught about masturbation in the home, at school, in your friend group and peers, culturally, and in the church or religious circles or religious institutions? Just be willing to kind of sit with that and ask yourself those questions because before you can really own what you believe about this now, you really have to know, how did I get here? Why did I get here? Do I agree with how I got here or not? Is there something in here that isn't working? Is there something in here that is 
out of alignment with God's heart and my heart. Uh, and then from there, only when we really allow ourselves to dig deep into our own story, uh, shame-free, can we really have the opportunity to walk in wholeness and freedom. Some people call this doing quote unquote shadow work, like looking in the shadows of our lives, those areas of our lives that feel shame inducing or scary or taboo even, and looking those things straight in the eye without judgment and being curious. So that is the first step that I want to encourage you in this conversation around masturbation is how did you get here and why and through what means, what sexual scripts and narratives were offered to you in all those different areas of your life to get you to a place that you believe what you currently believe about masturbation. I'll be honest, I'm not the greatest cook in the world. In fact, stepping into the kitchen can feel really overwhelming for me. But over the last year, I've really worked on trying different recipes and honing in on a few dishes so that I can feel confident whipping something up either for myself or last minute when friends come over. And a few of those recipes in my back pocket are now a good frittata. Y'all, I can make a good frittata. Gluten-free banana bread, even a shepherd's pie. I've actually recently been working on a shrimp and brown butter pasta that, mm, let me tell you, is so good. In all my recent cooking experiences, I've realized how important investing into your kitchen tools are. I recently replaced my knife set. And knife set is being generous and describing what I actually had versus what I have now. I tried the brand Made In's Chef Knife Set, and it has changed my cooking experience. Now that I have professional quality knives, it feels like I was just using plastic party knives for all of those years. Maiden's cookware and kitchenware products are used by thousands of the world's best chefs. They source the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup. Oh, yes. <laughs> Maiden products are made to last and they offer a lifetime guarantee. Their cookware distributes heat evenly and can easily go from the stovetop to the oven. And their knives are fully forged, perfectly balanced, and stay sharp. They have 28,000 plus five-star reviews, and their products are used by some of the world's best chefs at Michelin-starred restaurants around the world. Maiden has better cookware for better meals. So right now, Maiden is offering the TRC listeners 15% off your first order with promo code CAT. That's K-A-T. This is the best discount available anywhere online for Maiden products. So go to madeincookware.com slash CAT, that's K-A-T, and use promo code CAT for 15% off your first order. That's madeincookware.com slash CAT and use promo code CAT. When it comes to paying off debt, it can often feel like an uphill battle. I really understand this because a few years ago, I got out of $30,000 of debt. I truly know the pain of high interest rates that result in minimum monthly payments that keep you trapped in an endless cycle of debt. I have good news for you. Upstart can help you get ahead. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. 
Unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than just your credit score, like your income and employment history. This means they can offer smarter rates with trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can even receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash refined. That's upstart.com slash refined. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. So that's upstart.com slash refined. Let's talk about the orgasm, the big O and the power of the orgasm. So not every time in masturbation do we orgasm, but it's definitely a big reason why we do it, right? Or why we want to do it. We want to feel good. We want to feel that explosive pleasure. And so I want to talk with you about just, we're, we're going very brief here. If you want to go into more detail, that's what like my course is for and my online workshop, but just a brief overview about the power of the orgasm. So a lot happens when we orgasm. Two things that happen, two of those things that happen are dopamine and oxytocin are released in a surge in our bodies. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter released from the reward center part of our brain associated with pleasure. You can think about it like when a child is in kindergarten and getting a gold star for good behavior. So uh, you learn to raise your hand in class instead of blurting out the answer because you get rewarded for that good behavior. And soon enough, we don't even need to think about it. We just raise our hands until we're called on. So those little gold stars are like the dopamine releases. And what they do is they create these well-grooved bicycle-like pathways in our brains called neuropathways so that the craving for and execution of quote unquote good behaviors become a pattern and second nature. So that is dopamine. It's a crazy thing. Dopamine comes up when we get a like on our Instagram, when we get acknowledged for something at work. Oh, I want to do that again. So the dopamine is just fascinating. All right. Number two, oxytocin is released. Oxytocin is that feel good hormone. It's the, it's that bonding hormone. So one of its sole purposes is to create deep attachments between people. So during breastfeeding, when a mother is breastfeeding her newborn child, oxytocin is released in both mother and child, helping them to create that like impenetrable mother-child bond. It also releases when we hug our friends and in that really electric moment when a guy we like reaches for our hand that first time and you hold hands and you're like, oh my gosh, there are fireworks. Oxytocin is also released in orgasm. And it's that bonding. It's that thing that bonds you. So in church, we hear things like soul ties. Um, well, you know, I, I need to break off soul ties with my ex. And 
I really think that that's that oxytocin release that, that causes that bonding agent between people. So scientifically, we talk about oxytocin. Spiritually, we often talk about soul ties. And this is like a super fun fact that I think is really fascinating. Some scientists now believe that there's actually no such thing as casual sex because our brains actually don't allow for it because of the amount of oxytocin and dopamine released in our brains and orgasms. So really the cool thing about this is that, you know, culture says we're not wired for monogamy and I'm not going to really get too much into that conversation, but with the dopamine and oxytocin release, what happens is the, essentially the more that you experience orgasm, or sex or sexual intimacy with a person over a long period of time, say years and years and decades in a monogamous committed relationship or marriage, then over time, your body starts craving that person. And even the thought of them can become arousing. So whereas culture says, you know, marriage is the death of good sex and spontaneous sex and, you know, that passion explosive sex, actually science could possibly lead us to believe that God has hardwired us for intimacy neurologically and the best sex of our lives can honestly happen in a long-term committed monogamous relationship over a long period of time. With each sexual experience that unfolds, each intimate experience, that depth of bond growing between each other spiritually, emotionally, neurologically. So I just think that is a very, very fun fact. Um, Now, this, you know, this is can be the beauty of being in a long-term monogamous relationship, but it can also be, and I'm not going to get huge into the porn conversation in this specific episode, but this is also the massive, one of the massive dangers of pornography. We are pattern factories. And the, it, let's say that I am in a pattern of watching pornography and I watch it over and over and over and over again. Well, pretty soon the thought of pornography or even looking over at the computer or the device that I watch pornography on can become arousing. And so even when and if you are in a committed relationship with another human being, with a spouse, with a partner that you really, really love and want to have sex with, you will be unable to get aroused because over time you have shown your, showed your body through your dopamine reward center that this is how we get off. This is how we climax. This is how we have orgasm. So there's a million other reasons why I am not an advocate of porn, while I, why I will not be an advocate of for, porn, uh, not to mention the fact that it completely aids the sex trafficking industry. And if you want more information on pornography and all of that stuff, you can go to fightthenewdrug.org. But I share all of that just to kind of give you a picture of the power of the orgasm and what happens in our minds neurologically, what the capacity to happen in our minds and bodies, spiritually, emotionally, all those things when we orgasm. Because if we're having a conversation about masturbation, we also have to have a conversation about orgasm. Now that we've talked about that, let's go into C.S. Lewis. (laughs) Don't worry, we are going to get to the Bible Um, But first, I wanted to do science, then C.S. Lewis, then the Bible, okay? 
So C.S. Lewis has one of the most profound passages that I've ever read from a Christian on masturbation. And it's in a series of letters that he did. And this is called The Harem Within. It'll be in the show notes. And this is what Lewis says. For me, the real evil of masturbation would be that it takes an appetite, which in lawful use leads the individual out of himself and turns it back, sends the man back into the prison of himself, there to keep a harem of imaginary brides. And this harem, once admitted, works against his ever getting out and really uniting with the real woman. For the harem is always accessible, always subservient, calls for no sacrifice or adjustments, and can be endowed with erotic and psychological attractions, which no real woman can rival. Among those shadowy brides, he is always adored, always the perfect lover. No demand is made on his unselfishness, no mortification ever imposed on his own vanity. In the end, they become merely the medium through which he is increasingly adores himself. After all, Almost the main work of life is to come out of ourselves, out of the little dark prison we are all born in. Masturbation is to be avoided, as all things are to be avoided, which retard this process. The danger is that of coming to love the prison. Whew! C.S. Lewis with the freaking mic drop on the harem within and masturbation. So uh, there are some things here that I don't know. Um, was Lewis here assuming that only men masturbate because this was only addressed to men? Or was he only wanting to speak from his own experience? We just don't know. So I think that there are four things that we can kind of pull out of this passage as we navigate a conversation around masturbation. Now, one of the top things I think Lewis is saying here and why masturbation can be problematic is that number one, it can teach that my pleasure is the number one priority. Whereas we can look at scripture in places like Ephesians 5, where it says, you know, wives respect your husbands and husbands serve your wives like Christ served the church. And what we see modeled there, in my opinion, is less about gender roles and more about a mutually honorable, um, mutual, mutual respect, mutually beneficial, mutually sacrificial relationship. A lot of mutual stuff going on here. So in marriage, and I would even say in friendship, the heart behind that friendship is how can I love this person well? How can I honor them? How can I serve them? How can I put their needs above mine? How can I be outward focused? And that's what Lewis is kind of referring to here as he's saying, you know, he says, you know, the goal here is to get outside of myself. And masturbation can really make me the king of my own world or the queen of my own world saying that actually, well, what I want, what my, what, what feels good to me is the most important thing. And I think that's where, you know, culture kind of says, do what feels good. However, the invitation of scripture is to be an outward focused person. This does not mean that my pleasure doesn't matter. It does not mean that I can, my only job as a spouse is to make sure that my partner has an orgasm. Um, I believe that our sexual experiences with our spouses should be outward focused but also like mutually beneficial, okay? So Lewis is saying, number one, a danger of masturbation is that it can teach that my pleasure is number one priority. Number two, I think he's also warning us 
about behaviors that ends on self. So this, that's just a continuation of an invitation of relationship to be outward focused as opposed to saying, well, actually everything is all about me. So Deborah Hirsch and her book, Redeeming Sexuality, talks about this definition of sexuality being this human desire that we all have that gets us outside of ourselves to connect with others. So it gets us out of our heads and into relationship and in community. And I love what Lewis says about um, the harem is always accessible. It's always subservient. It is... Um, It works against this person ever getting out and really uniting with a real woman. So masturbation, what he's saying, it can really just keep us isolated from others. When the real goal of existence and sexuality is to get outside of ourselves and get connected to others. Number three, what I think Lewis is really warning us here is he's saying, you know, with masturbation, there's no iron sharpening iron here, folks. So in real relationships, we have conflict. So there's conflict resolution. Um, there's opportunity for constant growth. Like Justin Timberlake says, it's like you're my mirror. Whoa. Like we are constantly mirroring each back to each other, our faults, but also our good traits. And when we do not have that mirror reflecting back to us, we cannot grow. And so, you know, when Lewis says, you know, the bride, the harem within is always adoring. It's kind of like always having yes men around you. So not only have I learned, you know, you know, my pleasure is the number one priority and it's all about me, but also like I am perfect and I do not need to change. And I am all good here. So I think whenever we're in a situation where we're surrounded by yes men, we have to really pause. I never want to be surrounded by yes men. Yeah, it's flattering, but it's not keeping me growing. And I think one of the goals of existence is to lean into growth at any opportunity and whenever we can. Now, finally, what Lewis refers to as problematic about masturbation is it keeps us in fantasy land. So he says, um, loving the prison of self more than real life. Now, I'm just going to be blunt here. I don't want to get so good at getting myself off that I don't need another person. I don't want to be in such a habit of choosing myself over others that I don't want to take the actual real risk that it takes to be in a real relationship with a living, breathing other human. Sometimes I wonder, and this is just Kat Harris's personal opinion, I wonder why so many people in my generation and the generations after me, millennials and after, why so many of us are so single? I live in New York City where there are millions of people. I go to a church with 80% single people. And this isn't like a college ministry. It's not like everyone's 18 to 21, just single in college. These are people that are in their 30s and 40s, people that want to be in relationships. Yet there's, it's like literally almost everyone is single and there's a lack of asking other people out. I think there's a lot of reasons for this, but I wonder 
If we have gotten so good at compartmentalizing our lives, our desires, our sexuality, and scratching just enough of a niche that we don't need to or want to risk being heartbroken, putting ourselves out there and being rejected, having conflict, dealing with the awkwardness of getting to know another person or learning how to communicate, this is how I like being kissed or being in a marriage and saying, this is how I like being touched in that way. Those things aren't like the movies. It's not perfect. And it takes real courage to be vulnerable in relationships. And so I personally think this is what can be, this is probably like the top thing for me where I just want to say, Hey, let's be real careful with masturbation. Because like I said, at the beginning of number four fantasy land, I don't want to get so good at quote unquote, getting myself off that I don't need another person. So I'm just going to leave that there for a second. I want to leave you to process the four questions I posed near the front end of this episode. What do you currently believe about masturbation and why? What were you taught about masturbation at home, school, from friends, culture, and church? Where and how were those beliefs formed? And are those sexual scripts and beliefs rooted in fear or freedom? Since there is so much shame around this topic of masturbation, especially when it comes to Christianity and religion in general, I think it can be really easy to see the damaging effects of masturbation. However, if we're really going to engage in a meaningful conversation on this topic, it's important that we look at it from every angle. So join me next week on part two of Is Masturbation a Sin? where I do a deep dive into scripture asking the question, Is there any space where self-pleasure could be helpful and a win in our lives? You might be surprised what I found. So stay tuned for next week.